Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Today's podcast is brought to you by Vortex Optics. is a brand that I've worked with for over 10 years. They're out of Wisconsin. Some of the best people you'll ever meet. They have a long line of not only spotters, binoculars, and different models for different price points. Clothing through their Vortex wear. They have tripods. They have great content. Most importantly, they have their VIP warranty, which is going to allow you to have peace of mind with your investment. I think they make great glass. You should check out the new 58 millimeter mini razor. That's what I ran all year long. The UHD 10 by 42s or 12s, if you wanna get fancy. They have the youth line of binoculars and they have a variety of models to match your price point. And again, it's all backed up by their VIP warranty. If you break it, they'll fix it. Hell, my friend Tyler Denham's brother, Jake, had his house burned down this fall and Vortex replaced his binoculars that didn't survive the fire. This company is legit and it's veteran owned and we stand behind them. Friends, welcome to the Oak Shade Podcast. I'm going to have a really interesting discussion today with a registered dietitian who specializes in the sweat test. That's right, replenishing a lost fluids, specifically electrolytes, specifically sodium. We'll talk a little bit about potassium, magnesium, chlorides, all those are important, but sodium. Uh, we're going to talk about sweat rates. And then we're going to also talk about your actual saltiness of your sweat, which is really something a lot of people don't think about, myself included. We, we get wrapped up in the scouting, um, securing a tag, then scouting online, then potentially scouting in person and updating or upgrading gear and shooting our weapon and doping and tuning. And you know, the last thing we think about is our body, which is our vessel, which is what gets us in and out of some harsh country that the animals call home. So we're going to bring on a subject matter expert out of Bozeman. Her name is Brooke. Again, she's a registered dietitian. I think this is a, a banger episode, something to think about, and some good information. So without further ado, you're listening to the Elk Shape Podcast, and we're interviewing Brooke from Grit Sports Nutrition. Wilderness Athlete is this company that I've known about since 2006. I've met the founder, Mark Paulson. I work with their team. I think they are a supplement company, not a marketing company. Supplement your diet, backfill what you're missing with a daily multi, their hydrate recover, HMB creatine, branch chain amino acids, their protein. They have a whole host, a whole array. You can check out the Elk Shape Stacks. Ladies, you can check out the Mrs. Elk Shape Stack and you can save some money with the stack. Add this to the discount code ELKSHAPE2023. That'll knock 20% off as well. Again, this is a supplement company, not a marketing company. Know the difference and give them a try. Guys, what's up? We're talking to Brooke Scholl. She's out of uh, Bozeman, Montana. Uh, owner, operator, I'm assuming, uh, Grit Sports Nutrition. Is that correct? Yes. Welcome to the pod. We got our schedules lined out. Uh, you were just uh, in Hawaii? 
I was, yes. Kauai and the Big Island. Oh, good. How was it? It was so good. I took three young kids. It was a lot of work, but we had a blast. That's called a relocation, not a vacation when you bring kids. <laughs> yes. I totally get it. I'm taking my I'm taking my kiddos to Maui in a couple like next week, in fact. So we don't go to Hawaii every year, but we try to go every four or five years. This will be the first time bringing the kids. So I'm calling it a relocation. Yeah, it's so true. I hope you guys have a really good time. We're excited. And I got some good friends in Maui. I wanted to pay them a visit and see how they're doing after all the fires and stuff and all that craziness. But tell me, I guess, tell the listeners a little bit about like your background and how did you like get into the space of performance nutrition? Yeah. So I have a bachelor's and a master's um, degree in nutrition from from Arizona state. That's where I'm from is Arizona. And I, around the time I was finishing up my master's or actually starting my master's, I got really into triathlon and running. And I thought, Hey, this is an area where there's a definite need for a, a sports nutrition, you know, business to help people fuel for endurance sports, like running, cycling, triathlon, swimming, you name it, the list goes on and on. So that's my passion. It's what I do myself. So I have many years of experience with that. And I decided to pair the two together and, um, and help endurance athletes fuel and hydrate for their events. That's cool. And, and my audience, obviously a lot of them are hunters and I really, I still want to do this. We talked about it, but my, one of my best friends, his name's Tyler and, and we're hunting partners, the kind that we share camp. And we share pack out duties or we'll backpack in together. He works out with me and he is a sweater, man. Like, in fact, I got him so mad at me. He was helping me pack out a bull this fall and we were almost to the bull and I'm wearing like a puffy and he's in a t-shirt soaked, completely soaked. And his backpack is absorbing the sweat and his sweat is coming down and he's in good a shape as I am. He's just losing so much more than I am. And that's got to be a genetic thing. So I wanted to kind of get into that and how we as hunters can like, maybe almost like individualize or personalize. How do we keep that balance, uh, the intra extracellular fluid? And, and so I wanted to geek out with you. Does that sound like a good plan? Well, that sounds great. That's right up my alley. Okay. So Tyler needs to go see you. You have a sweat test. Tell us about the sweat test. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about sweat first and kind of the, mm -hmm. you know, really when it comes down to, um, maintaining optimal hydration, you're talking about sweat rate and sweat composition. Your sweat rate is the volume of, of sweat that you're losing in any given, um, exercise amount of exercise or any, you know, event that you're doing. And that is determined by genetics, but also by many other, um, variants. So if you're like today in Bozeman, it's snowing the first day of snow. If I go for a run today, compared to going for a run in Arizona in the summer, I'm going to be sweating a lot more in Arizona with the heat and the humidity. So climate is a big indicator of your sweat rate. Also your fitness level, um, clothing that you're wearing. There's so many different, you know, variants there. Your sweat composition is how salty your sweat is. 
And that is important to know because there's huge variation from person to person as far as how much sodium they're losing in their sweat. It varies all the way from 200 milligrams per liter um, of sweat that you're losing all the way up to 2000 milligrams. So huge um, differences there. And sweat sodium concentration is primarily genetically determined. So you can't do much about it besides learn what you need to replace and then replace that to stay hydrated. So my testing that I do measures sweat sodium concentration, how salty the sweat is. Um, it's a really cool test. People come in all the time with, you know, running shoes and workout stuff on ready to get on a treadmill. And it actually is not done that way at all. It's a non-exercise test. It involves putting electrodes on the forearm and stimulating the sweat gland to release just a little bit of sweat. And then I collect the sweat and run it through my fancy equipment. I do the precision hydration testing. Um, it's their equipment. And um, I've been doing it for years. And it's a game changer for athletes because determining how much sodium you're losing allows you to replace exactly the right amount for you instead of just grabbing a random electrolyte supplement and saying, okay, I'm going to take a noon or I'm going to, you know, um, take a couple salt stick capsules or whatever it might be. It's totally customized approach. I like that. I like knowing, measuring, managing. I'm into numbers that way. And a lot of the guys are just like, well, I know I need some sodium, a little bit of potassium, maybe some magnesium. Uh, I'll just grab something off the shelf or what have you. Somebody like Tyler, I would love for him to geek out, do the test. I mean, I would love to do the test, but definitely him for sure, because I've just never seen somebody sweat so much. It's literally, it could prob not to be dramatic, but this could kind of break your hunt. Cramping is a thing, recovery, regeneration, uh, just your level of comfort, it, you're already uncomfortable when you're hunting, you're living out of a backpack, you're living like a homeless person in the mountains and it, it can be daunting. So having like the right ratios, let's get into the, some of those ratios. Like what's pretty much like, do you have a golden standard number of things you're looking for, for people to replenish with and how often to replenish with, um, which can be very challenging while you're hunting. Oh Yeah. Definitely. Well, and again, there's two different factors that you're looking at. So one is the volume of fluid that you need to be taking in per hour. That's generally how I measure it for, you know, endurance athletes and hunting is absolutely an endurance sport. I'm, I'm so right. excited to be talking to this community because as you said a few minutes ago, you know, the amount, the hours and mileage of hiking um, that you guys are doing, the packing out of the animal, the amount of sweating that's occurring, you're for sure losing, I mean, definitely a, a tremendous amount. Um, and so, you know, someone like your friend is obviously losing more due to a high sweat rate. Um, the interesting thing to see about him would be is he has a high sweat rate, so he's sweating a lot, but when he sweats, is it very salty? Mm -hmm. um, and those things are not necessarily tied together. So you can be a heavy sweater and you can have a low sweat sodium concentration, um, or, or you could be, you know, not losing a lot in the way of sodium, or you can be neither, or you can be both. So they're not tied together. Um, and so that's, what's interesting about the test is determining, you know, where you fall on that spectrum. Um, so as far as fluid intake per hour, again, there's a range. I have a little, you know, field test that I have 
athletes do um, to determine sweat rate. And so that's done along with the tests that I do in my office. Um, but, you know, I would say an hourly range of intake that people consume of, you know, fluid wise would be anywhere from 12 ounces up to, gosh, I mean, even 40 ounces per hour if it's a wow. real heavy sweat. Or if it's real hot, you know, if it's a real yeah. cold day compared to warm. Um, yeah. And then the sodium, the same thing. There's a huge range in there too. So, you know, someone might, I'd say on average, people need to take in about 700 milligrams per hour, but that number is determined by the amount of fluid. So it's a ratio that goes together. The fluid intake, sure. the sodium intake, it's a ratio. Yeah. And then how do you know? how much, I mean, obviously potassium is important, but it's not nearly as important as like your sodium, but how do you know how much potassium to add with the sodium or, or am I missing the mark and potassium is irrelevant? No, that's an excellent question that here's the cool thing. You don't need to worry about the other electrolytes when it comes to replacing them during activity during adventures, during hunting, whatever sport it is, because sodium is the primary electrolyte lost in your sweat. It makes up 90% of your losses. Wow. So potassium, calcium, magnesium, you know, the other electrolytes, chloride, the other electrolytes, it's not that they're not important, but the body does a nice job of getting them back within range just by food and drink intake outside of activity. Sodium though, you, you know, especially people that lose a lot of sodium in their sweat, it's impossible to replace it outside of, you know, sport or activity if you're not staying on top of it during, especially for long duration stuff, you know, um, stuff that's over two, three hours. So, yeah. And there's a lot of events going on in the mountains where it is more than two or three hours. Obviously, I think bringing a camp in or taking an animal out can be a marathon, literally, uh, to where someone like me, maybe I don't have a high sweat rate, but I certainly do not know my sweat concentration. I don't know if maybe I have a ton of salt per sweat. Need to know that uh, to sustain the kind of effort I put out, uh, what are some signs and symptoms that you're doing a poor job of replenishing or keeping up with the demand, um, at an electrolyte level? Yeah. So sodium is so essential to the body. It's in charge of a, a lot of different functions that are really relevant to active people, muscle contraction being a huge one, nerve impulses, um, cognitive function, helping your brain function, breaking down nutrients in the gut, you know, temperature control. So those functions alone, you had mentioned cramping. That's a big indicator of sodium depletion happening. Uh, when, when people start cramping, it's not the only cause of cramping, but it definitely can mean that your sodium is not being kept within range. And that can be yeah. a, a debilitating, right? That kind of ends your ends your experience, man. I've had some bad deals. I can think of like this summer. I went to my friend's house. He's got a podcast and uh, his name's cam. My listeners will know him. Cam Haynes is keep hammering podcast. I went over there. He kind of had something real special for me. He likes to torture me. And we did this, like, I think it was like 7,000 vertical feet in 11 miles. And I remember the first two miles was almost 3000 feet vertical gain. 
and it was middle of the day. It was summer. It was hot. It was dry. It wasn't humid. And I told you I'm not a sweater. And I would say within the first mile, I took my shirt off because it was like a towel soaked in sweat. And I kind of knew I'm like, I don't sweat like this ever. This is not, and I had no backpack on nothing. And I, I only brought honestly a 16 ounce bottle of water on that little adventure. And the, like when we finally got back to the truck at Oh dark 30 and we were in the middle of like nowhere, Oregon, high mountains, we, we came across this gas station and I remember we all went in there and I got like the biggest diet Coke that you could get. And that's what I replenish with. And I don't know if that was the best idea, but, um, liquids never tasted so good in my life. Um, so I totally, I guess I just bring that up to just hammer home your point that the conditions, the environmental factors play a large role besides your fitness level, besides what God gave you genetically speaking. Do you know the percentages of like, it's your sweat rate, it's your sweat concentration. And then it's like 50% your conditions, your environmentals. Like how do you kind of spread that ratio out? There isn't a ratio per se. I will just say that your sweat composition is almost all genetically determined um, versus your sweat rate, again, being kind of um, being determined by a lot of different factors. So there's no, you know, percentage necessarily, but both of those things factor in so much in determining what you need, you know, so... That makes sense. Now let's break down the sweat test. You said you're not going to be on a treadmill. You're not wearing a mask. It's electrodes on your forearm. How long does it take? What's the protocols? How much does it cost? Where are you located? Like, I think a lot of people, myself included, are going to want to want to know. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's pretty short in the way of the duration of the testing. It takes 20 to 30 minutes to do the test. Once I, um, you know, once I get you sweating a little bit with the electrodes, I have to collect your sweat in this little, you know, collection tube. And so a person's sweat rate will determine how fast that fills up. But like I said, it's generally 20 to 30 minutes. And then the second half of the session is um, some, you know, a consultation basically where we put together the results of what your sweat composition is. Um, there's also a questionnaire that goes along with the test that helps me further determine recommendations and, and what needs to be, um, you know, recommended per hour. And that takes about 30 minutes too. So I schedule an hour with my clients. Um, the testing is 225 a pop. The nice thing is though, it's not a test that needs to be repeated because right. your sweat condition doesn't change. So once you do it, you do it and, and you follow it and you can continue following it. No matter what type of climate you're, you're training in or elevation, you raise an interesting point a few minutes ago with that story. In elevation, your fluid needs increase. Uh, your fuel right. needs increase as well, but definitely your fluid and then therefore your sodium needs. So that's another factor too. Um, but yeah, it's a one-time test. And you could take that information with you and use it forever, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So once you've done the test, you basically have been given these set of data points that you can kind of look at your, you can almost like reverse engineer a little bit of your hunt be like, okay, I got to hike in seven miles. I'm going to do that before the, the season opens middle of the day. 
It's going to be in the 70s. I'm going to be layers. All my layers are going to be off, but I'm going to really perspire. So I'm going to have to backfill with this much fluid. And then in this fluid, I need to have this much percentage of it as sodium. Is that how you would do it? Exactly. So you're, you're okay. getting from, from me an hourly recommendation as far as fluid goes. And that does change throughout the year. But oftentimes I'll have people test, do a sweat rate test on themselves a couple times over the course of the year. So you get a feel for what your range is. And then that number will be associated with a milligrams of sodium amount. And that's your ratio. Your ratio doesn't change. The amount of fluid that you drink per hour does change. So, um, yeah. And, and it's, uh, you know, I give people a little like basically cheat sheet when they leave and I'm like, yes. take a picture of this, don't lose this because this is gold, you know, and then you can match up, you know, certain electrolyte products that you would use with the, the amount of sodium that you need. Not all electrolyte products are the same. So, you know, different companies use different types of sodium. Um, sodium citrate is preferred. Sodium chloride is used in a lot of products because it's generally cheaper to use. Cheaper to, yeah. To manufacture. So I really prefer sodium citrate. It's um, alkaline on the body. It's gentler on the GI system. It's better absorbed. So that's something to look for, you know, in electrolyte products. That's what I encourage people to, to be selective about. Yeah. I've never heard that the citrate versus like, what was the other one? Sodium chloride. Yep. Sodium chloride is essentially table salt. So it's what we right. get from our food that we eat on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but when we're talking about sport and activity and endurance, you know, particularly if that is going to create more of an acidic system for you or, or your GI tract is going to suffer as a result of it, it's much better to go to citrate, which is a more of a, a buffer on the GI system and gentler. So no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I remember in college, I have a, some degrees and stuff that I can hardly remember. It's been a long time, but, um, my undergrad was exercise science. I remember taking several classes and it, man, it was pretty bad. It was like, we had to memorize a lot of, I felt at the time, useless information on, you know, basically fluid loss during exercise and um, they would always like use generic sports type drinks and tell you how much to have per hour, maybe given the environment and your rate of perceived exertion, that all that jazz or whatever. I don't really care about any of that. What I care about is I want to know what works. Like I use hydrate and recover from a brand called wilderness athlete. And I'm going to have to go look through the label because I honestly don't know, but let's just say someone is going to a grocery store and they're going to buy Powerade versus Gatorade. Is there really a benefit there? Is there a difference in all these brand, sports drink brands? It's big business. Say what you can if you if you have any insight you want to share there. Yeah. So there's yeah there's big variation between different companies and a lot of products are manufactured really um, cheaply. I guess. Um, Gatorade generally falls into that category. I believe Gatorade is sodium chloride. Um, I, I'm not positive on that, but I believe that they're sodium chloride. But the thing about those products is they're going to put other ingredients in there, like food dyes and that type of thing that, you know, is not necessarily going to benefit yeah. you. Um, and so I tend to steer people more towards 
products like, you know, precision hydration, the testing that I do, um, they have a product line that's very high quality, uh, sits well in the gut, that kind of thing. So that, or like scratch labs makes an interesting, you know, product line as well. Both of those are sodium citrate, but as far as the Gatorade and Powerade, not a lot of difference between them. The thing about those brands too, is that they are higher sugar with a lower sodium content. What I find to be true is I've, as I've tested hundreds of people since I started doing this, um, is that those are not enough sodium. People would have to right. drink a ton of Gatorade. And the more Gatorade you're drinking, the more sugar you're getting as well. So when you need sodium replacement, you don't necessarily need that amount of sugar as well. Um, okay, so Okay, that kind of yeah. makes sense. Yeah. 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 So um, products today that are being formulated differently, like the scratch, like the precision hydration, they might have as much as 750 milligrams of sodium or even more. Scratch has one that's 1700 milligrams of sodium in a little packet and compared to a Gatorade where you're drinking a big Gatorade and it might have 200 milligrams of sodium, which is nothing. That's very low. And as far as recommendations go, like I said, most people need to be taking in 600 to 800 milligrams per hour. So. Wow. I, I can't believe there's not more locations Maybe there are, but you're the first I've ever heard of. Um, for those in the Bozeman area, like where exactly are, are you in Belgrade? Are you in Bozeman, Bozeman? Where are you at? Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Yeah, I'm in Bozeman off of Huffine, so kind of headed towards Four Corners in Bozeman. And yep. I'm also, I also test in Scottsdale, Arizona, and kind of um, target those surrounding areas as well. So that's those are the okay. two locations I'm at. We'll leave a link in the show notes to your website and then guys and gals listening can also try to find someone like a brook near you or go to Yellowstone and swing by and get your sweat test next summer on your family vacay. I do want to know the information. So next time I'm in Bozeman, I'm going to make arrangements to get tested. I'll probably film it for YouTube just to show people. I've never really been a guy who cramps, who has... Um, I don't know. I might just be lucky. Honestly, it might just be a genetic deal where, cause Tyler and I are both very similar physical fitness wise. I do think I have better endurance. I think he has more power. Like when we were packing the elk out, getting to the elk, I could whip his butt to the elk. But once there was 70, 80 pounds of meat on our back, he was like, see ya. Uh, and he left me in the dust. So he's definitely a big, strong, healthy boy. But I think all of us want to know our numbers. Because it is such a chore, Brooke, when you have like all your life in a backpack 
and that's it. And that's, I mean, going back to the truck to get more pills, powders, and potions and fluids, it's not really, it's not a commodity that's worth, the juice is not worth the squeeze, if you will. So anyways, um, I would love to hear how you got like to where you're at with the triathlons. Did you have like a compelling story where you're like, cramping or bonking or like, what was your journey like? Oh, that's, yeah, that's a great question. When I first started triathlon, um, I think like most people, I didn't really have a clue about endurance sport fueling. It's a totally different beast. And when I started, I did my first Ironman in 2009 there was not a lot of research out there. There was not a lot of information and recommendations. There's a lot more now, but I remember preparing for my first Ironman the night before I'm, you know, have all of what I'm going to take, you know, consume spread out on the table. And I'm just looking at it going, what am I doing? What am I doing when, and that kind of thing. Of course, I'm thinking about it the night before, which is, you know, it can be, somewhat typical for people because there's so much that goes into training for an endurance event like that, that, you know, oftentimes nutrition gets overlooked. And so at that point I thought, you know what, I needed to be doing this months ago. And I was just starting my nutrition degrees at that point. You know, I obviously wasn't doing what I, what I do now, but I saw that need there. And I said, you know what, if I'm having problems, I bet a bunch of other people are having problems too. And when I first started doing Ironmans and racing, I had a lot of GI issues as well, which can sometimes, you know, it's a very common thing in endurance sports. And I bet it, it rears its head in hunt within hunters as well. Just being out there for hours with heat or cold and, and taking in a lot of different, you know, types of food or maybe not enough and that kind of thing. So, you know, at that point, when I was again, back in, in 2009 and pursuing my degrees, I thought, okay, I can help people overcome these issues. So that's really where, you know, I've, I was able to remedy my own GI gastrointestinal issues and then help so many people since and hydration factors in big time there as well. And you had mentioned, you know, you don't have a lot of experience with cramping, but even if people are not consuming enough sodium and their hydration isn't on key where it needs to be, you can experience a lot of other negative side effects too, like fatigue um, and then, you know, gut issues and that type of thing that sometimes aren't even attributed to hydration usually, um, which are going to impact your performance, you know, depending on what activity you're doing or certainly your energy levels. If you're, you know, hunting and out and you got to pack out an animal. So, um, yeah, that's, it's, it's my passion. I love helping people figure out, you know, how to fuel and hydrate and therefore, you know, improve their performance and then just feel better in life too. You know? Yeah. I think a lot of hunters like elk hunters, my, my audience, like they don't live out West. They come out West. They don't, you know, for me, I, I live technically out West, but I don't live high. I'm I'm six hours away from you and, and I am, uh, 2000 feet is the elevation I live at. And then most of my elk hunting is probably on the low end, 7,500 and the highest I'll go is generally just over 10,000 feet. And I always, always feel not fantastic. My first day out, like, no doubt about it. I'll get the dull headache. And there's like a lot of 
maybe misinformation out there or just not enough good information where people are like, oh yeah, there's a ton of stuff you can do to get ready for altitude. I've always told people just time is probably the most important, like getting there early and, and slowly working your way up the mountain, listen to your body and, and hydrate. But um, do you have anything better to offer than my generic advice? Um, I think your generic advice is, is actually very right on, um, time really is, you know, I've had a lot of clients or, or people that I've known that are going to race in Leadville, which is, you know, very high elevation in Colorado. And one client in particular went out there four to six weeks early this summer, just to prepare and to acclimate their body. So I do think that's kind of the gold standard as far as, you know, um, elevation, um, acclimation, and then just um, taking into account that your needs are going to be higher when you're at an elevation like that. Your hydration needs are going to be higher because respiration is higher. You have your heart rate is higher. So um, increasing your, your fluid, increasing your sodium, increasing your caloric needs as well. Carbohydrate is being utilized faster when you're at higher elevations. So um, I think those are, you know, those are usually my recommendations. All right. This last part is it could be an entire podcast on its own. So I apologize, but I have to ask the professional. I don't really dig the whole fat adaptive keto E as it pertains to hunting for performance. And then from a guy who's been a strength coach and as well as a personal trainer and as well as a gym owner, I hated seeing most people try a keto diet because to be quite honestly, I never saw them sustain it. It's pretty tough. There's always a few exceptions, but it was, it was really tough to sustain. I don't want to get into the last part. I want to get into the hunting part because there are some people that maybe get fat adaptive, meaning they're, they're not going to take in carbs. They're going to utilize triglycerides fat as their primary energy substrate. What I wanted to ask you is like, um, what do you think about that? Because you are an endurance athlete, iron woman. And I have like, when I'm out hunting for a month, I can't wait to eat my fruit leathers. I can't wait to eat my yes, like gummy bears, um, any like fruit leathery, quick, simple carb like that. And I'm not saying candy bars. That's not me. And I definitely have jerky and I have a protein drink in the morning. It's tough to get a lot of protein when you're hunting, but my body, when I start feeling a little fatiguey, maybe not clicking on all cylinders in the mental, um, I eat and I generally, my body feels like it wants, it's asking for, for carbs and I do real well on carbs while hunting. Do you have any thoughts on that fat adaptive versus, you know, taking in carbohydrates as your primary energy source? So many thoughts and you're right. It could be yes. like a set of 12 podcasts that we could do just right. on that alone. Um, it's so nutrition and especially kind of sports nutrition or event training nutrition is so interesting in that it cycles. And so okay. I guess it was about seven, eight years ago that the keto thing started becoming very big. And um, my clients, I had some clients that wanted to go down that path being Ironman athletes, people doing like ultra runners, that type of thing. I think that there are definitely people who that way style of eating works for, but I don't think that that's the norm. Uh, especially when you're looking at the endurance population, 
I think most people, what works well is something right kind of in the middle. I'm also, I'm, I guess I'm, what I'm saying is I'm not an extreme, I don't have extreme recommendations when it comes to that. I don't think keto is the best way to go. I don't think super, super high carbohydrates with the way to go. I think some, there's a lot of gray area right in the middle. That's really nice where you're still replenishing carbohydrates. You're giving your body what it needs because at a certain point of training, racing, um, activity, hiking, whatever you're doing, you are transitioning from burning fat into burning carbohydrate. And for your body and your mind to be functioning effectively, you do need to replace that. Um, but I think it can go on the other, you know, now it seems like people in sports nutrition is going more towards like, let's consume all the carbohydrates that we can possibly consume. And sure. I think that there's there can be um, issues with that as well in always having elevated blood glucose and roller coaster, you know, of energy throughout the day and that kind of thing. So when I work with a client, I like to advise them to eat in a way where they have carb, fat, and protein whenever possible, um, just to keep blood sugar nice and steady, energy levels consistent. Um, I'm not having people shy away from carbohydrates, but I'm making sure the other nutrients are included in there as well because there's a purpose for each one of them. Yeah. I, when I'm not hunting, which is most of the year, I have a 40, 30, 30 macro approach, kind of 40% of my calories come from carbs, 30 pro 30 fat, which surprises some people. They might think I just eat protein all day. Like a caveman. I don't, I don't try to eat any of those without all of them present in the gut. So I'm kind of an old school. Like I like protein, carbs, fat, entering the GI tract all at the same time. We don't have to geek out on that. But when I'm hunting, it is more like a 50, 30, 20, 50% of my calories coming from carbs, 30% actually coming from fat and only 20% coming from protein. I just, protein's really hard for me to take in while hunting. It's not very packable. Uh, there are ways around it, but that's what works well for me. And it would be cool if people went and did their sweat test and maybe do a consultation simultaneously about what you recommend for them based on what's going to provide the best option for performance. Uh, do you have a magic macro profile that seems to fit the mold for most endurance athletes? You know, I don't. And I have learned over the years, I first started my business in 2012, that this might sound like a generic saying, but it's absolutely true that people are so highly individual that there mm -hmm. is no general, you know, you can't really generalize there. Now, that being said, I don't have, you know, people eating 85% of their calories from fat or any crazy numbers like that. Um, yeah. But I find like you had said, when you're out hunting, you find that a higher percentage of carbohydrates and a lower uh, percentage of, of protein just due to availability partially is what works for you. That there's a lot of truth there in that it's called nutrient periodization. As you go through different parts of the year with training or events or, you know, that kind of thing, um, your needs do change. And so, you know, somebody might go from a 40, 30, 30 to something where they're consuming less carbohydrate and off season, more carbohydrate and heavy season. So it's always evolving, uh, very individual. And that's probably not what people want to hear, but that's the truth, unfortunately. I think that's awesome. I'm glad we're getting into this. The, the other thing I was going to ask you as far as on the, the home front, because some people do have a genetic disposition to where 
You know, they look at a carbohydrate and they're getting fatter. They just even look at one. And some people look at a barbell and they pack on muscle. And some people, you know, don't like have a terribly difficult time keeping mass or whatever. I wanted to ask you this specifically towards wearables and a glucose monitor, which have kind of built some momentum in my opinion. And the data would be interesting to hear from your perspective as far as like, let's say for me every day I eat a bowl of oatmeal with three eggs, looking at a glucose monitor on what, what happens to the sugar in my bloodstream over the course of the next hour would be interesting to know versus post-workout when I have a blueberry spinach protein smoothie post-workout, how does being it post-workout affect the, the sugar? You know, the differences between your insulin versus your glucagon levels, like getting the sugar out of the bloodstream versus getting the sugar into the bloodstream. Long question, but really wearables. What do you, what's your thoughts? Oh yes. They've gained a lot of popularity recently. And I think that there's, you know, for years since I started my business, I've been talking to people about eating in a way that keeps their blood sugar steady because unfortunately the American diet and a lot of other countries diets as well are primarily based around carbohydrate. So people are spiking their blood sugar all day long, meals, snacks, blood sugar, boom, 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 up and down. And it creates this roller coaster effect with energy levels. And so I really always talk with people about what's a way that we can help, you know, I can help you learn how to fuel that we keep blood sugar nice and steady. So I do think it's important that people are paying attention to this. I have heard that these monitors can be very sensitive and it sometimes makes people paranoid about what they're eating in the way of carbohydrates because they see what happens to the blood sugar when they have, you know, a bowl of oatmeal or whatever it might be. And uh, they say, oh, I can't have oatmeal anymore. Um, most of us that don't have insulin resistance or any, you know, diabetes or pre-diabetes, the body is designed to do its job and to take glucose, you know, out of the bloodstream up into the cells. So it does, you know, it's designed to do that, but at the same time, you don't want to have your body working hard all the time doing that, right. you know, all day long. So, um, I think that, you know, as far as when you're talking about pre and post, and also when you're talking about during, that's when the biggest, that's when nutrients have the biggest, um, it's the biggest change as far as the impact on blood sugar. So if somebody's doing a um, triathlon or running or in the middle of a hike or packing out, you know, a hunter packing out an animal, um, they are able to take in a higher amount of carbohydrate and not have that elevated blood sugar spike. It's, or it's, it's, um, it's a more subtle effect on the blood sugar and that's during activity. And so, you know, for the tour de France athletes this year, they're taking in huge amounts of carbohydrate per hour. So does that mean all the hours on their, they're on the bike over that tour, they're just spiking their blood sugar and it's terrible for their, their health? No, it, those athletes need to be taking that in because they are losing it. They're burning through that glucose and they're, they're, they need to replace it. Um, and so it's, you know, it is variable depending on if you're talking about pre, during, or post. Generally pre or post nutrition though, I have people trying to balance it out. Well, it's just during that there's, there's room for more carbohydrate because you need it. 
it's crazy to me. I'm going to put this in a bow hunting perspective, how much we as uh, hunters put time, research, energy into where to go, what gear to use, what weapon, the animal's behavior, biology, and we pay no attention to the biochemistry and the art of performance. I did say art because it is nuancy to figure out what's going to work best for the individual and having someone like you as a resource, I think is incredible. Is there any golden standard testing that people should look for if they can't make it to Bozeman or Scottsdale, Arizona, where they could find something comparable to what you're doing, where they live so that they can get the data to start making more informed decisions for performance. Yeah. So, um, if the precision hydration website has a list of all the testers in the country and then also in the world, um, I haven't counted it up, but I want to say in the U S there's probably 15 or 20 different testing, uh, locations. And so, you know, most people go on that website and they choose who's, you know, the closest person to them and go test there. Um, not all of the testers are dietitians. Sometimes it's more of a run shop or a, you know, a, a sports equipment shop, something like that. I'm a dietitian. And so I really incorporate in a lot of, um, science and, and everything into it, into my analysis and, um, the consultation, but yeah, I mean, um, they should definitely check out that website and see there are other sweat testing kits that you can send away for. Um, some of them involve, I guess, collecting your own sweat. Um, I don't know. I haven't done any of those. I, I can only speak to mine. I know it's very accurate and effective. Um, so, and then in the meantime, before people can actually get into a, a site to test, they do have a questionnaire, an online questionnaire on the Precision Hydration website as well that can kind of help you, help guide you in figuring out like, do I have a high sweat rate? Do, you know, am I a salty sweater? There's different symptoms, not symptoms, but there's different indicators to look for. Like, do you finish, you know, a workout and you're covered in salt? You have grit on your face, <laughs> in the shower, it's burning your eyes. There's different indicators that help to assess whether you're a, um, you have a high sweat um, sodium concentration or not. Here's your last Final question of the pod. Feel free to go ham. Would you explain to my listeners the difference between a nutritionist and a registered dietitian? Oh, I love this question. <laughs> um, you know, it's very confusing these days because now dietitians are actually called nutritionists as well. So it'll be like registered dietitian nutritionist. I'm like, oh, we are confusing people. Um, but what I like to differ, use as criteria, if someone's going to hire someone, you know, an, a professional to help them with their nutrition, you better make sure that they have a degree, you know, either a four-year degree or a master's degree, that they pass the national exam for nutrition, yep. um, that they've, you know, done an, a dietetic internship where they put in hours, a certain number of hours into, you know, um, getting to the point where they can even take the RD exam. That's what's important because unfortunately these days, there's a lot of different programs that can turn people into a nutritionist. 
with air quotes, um, and they may or may not have the actual qualifications. So that's what I would encourage just to make sure that you're getting solid information that's science backed and not just somebody's opinion. Well said. Guys, this is Brooke from Bozeman, Grit Sports Nutrition. She's a registered dietitian and she can do the sweat test. We're going to be sending Tyler. I'll probably go with him, get myself tested as well. Might be this summer. We'll we'll go do a scouting trip and cruise over to Bozeman. Brooke, I'm going to have you email me maybe two or three links that you mentioned in the pod that I can put in the show notes to just to help people get what they need to get. And guys, this stuff matters. Separations in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. Today's podcast is brought to you by PeaksEquipment.com. They have a whole bunch of cool, new, innovative products dropping in 2024. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. They have the Peaks Duo Headlamp, which is arguably the best headlamp on the market. It's rechargeable. It's micro USB-C. It has two lights, red or white. You have three settings per light. And you can make sure that it won't turn on in your backpack by holding it down for a few seconds. It is the most versatile headlamp. They also make sissy sticks. I recommend the Elites with the cork handle. They also have the Storm Castle Gators. This is a great company. Discount code ELKSHAPE, 10% off. Check out peaksequipment.com.